calling all aspiring investment professionals. Get a leg up on the competition. Final registration for the August CFA exam ends on May 14th. Register now to secure your spot. The CFA designation is a gold standard in the investment world, opening doors to high-powered careers and impressive salaries. Head over to cfainstitute.org to register. Don't wait. Take control of your finance career today. Hello, welcome to the Take 15 podcast. I am Lauren Foster, and this is the weekly series where we bring you short conversations with some of the world's most interesting and accomplished people. Today's episode is all about emerging market debt, and my guest is Hans Humes. He's founding partner, CEO, and chief investment officer of Greyluck Capital. A quick note on timing, we sat down together in October, just ahead of the Argentine elections. I hope you enjoy the conversation. Hans Humes, welcome. Thank you so much for being here. No problem. Thanks for the invite. So I'd love to start the conversation about emerging market debt uh, with your idiosyncratic background. It kind of helps explain your comfort level in chaos. So set the scene for us. Um, well, I was born in Bethesda, Maryland. My dad was county manager of Baltimore County, worked for Spiro Agnew, who was governor of Maryland at that time. And uh, my dad didn't really see eye to eye with Agnew. So ended up leaving that position and taking a job with Ni the Nigerian government, um, with one of the universities, University of Ife, to design a local gov government system for them. So sounds great. Back then in the 1960s, Africa was the up and coming part of the world. People didn't really expect Asia to do as well as it did. Um, but when we moved to Nigeria, they, a civil war broke out. <laughs> so we lived there through the Biafran War. Um, but uh, you know, it was interesting. I mean, so, you know, from my vantage point, uh, this was normal. I mean, it's interesting, even now when I go back to West Africa, I sort of feel like I'm at, at home. Um, but it also you know, gave a lot of lessons. I mean, speaking to my father afterward, and he was talking about the different systems that he put in place, and they weren't re really working until he adjusted the sort of the Western template uh, to you know, adapt a little bit to the local cultures. Um, and I think that sort of gave me a good sense of how I should approach things, that any restructuring I get involved in or any country that I'm working, it's going to have its own cultural norms. So working in Russia is going to be different than Argentina. They'll be different than Greece. Um, and not to think that the way we're doing it is better, uh, but we may have some things to add. Uh, but certainly we're supposed to, I'm supposed to listen quite a bit in any situation that I'm involved in. So earlier today, you were actually standing in the back of the room when Anne Walsh of Guggenheim mm -hmm. said emerging markets is more of a trade than an investment. You go in and out. And she said, until we get out of the trade war, we should avoid emerging markets. I'm going to assume you don't agree with that. I'm, I mean, it's, it's a legitimate you know, perspective. Um, but clearly, there's enough business you know, Guggenheim also has an advisory arm that is advising us on the Venezuela restructuring. So, you know, in terms of revenues that can be generated from emerging markets, even Guggenheim thinks that you know, full-time presence makes some sense. Um, it really depends. I mean, emerging markets is a catch-all phrase. Uh, countries that are category, you know, categorized in the as emerging markets run the gamut from investment grade, solid investment grade, to frontier markets. Um, so, I think it doesn't make sense to. Uh, just look at developed markets. I mean, you're going, going to either on a yield basis or, or on 
from sort of a stressed or distressed side, you'll find good return uh, possibilities in what are deemed emerging markets that you won't find in developed markets. I think it's really a matter of comfort level. Um, I would agree if you're a traditional uh, investor, um, your, your training is going to be geared to developed markets. Uh, emerging markets will feel quite foreign. Um, but So I think you, you have to work with what, what's in your comfort zone. My comfort zone with some of the stuff in Nigeria is probably a little bit greater than and. <laughs> okay. So you have very deep experience uh, in Argentina, and Argentina seems to go through endless crises. How is the current crisis different than ones in the past? Well, the big ones, um, the, the one that everybody remembers is the 2001 crisis. And that was a situation where the country had borrowed too much money and there wasn't any growth. Um, they, uh, you know, it ended up becoming not just an economic crisis, but a political crisis. I think they had, what was it, three presidents in a period of a couple of weeks. Um, and the incoming uh, administration at that point, um, you know, I think to consolidate political power, really end up having to present this as almost a fight against the international financial bad guys. And that was creditors, the IMF. And I think the tone of that sort of colored what happened through the next three, four, five years, 10 years. Um, what we're seeing now is a much greater uh, desire to get the problems behind them. Um, they still, you know, what they see, I mean, I think the, the basic thing is in 2001, it really was a solvency issue. They, there was no way they're going to repay it back at this point. Now it looks like it's more a liquidity issue and it's a sort of a, a more cash flow uh, concern and how you know is there a way of modifying the cash flows, pushing off the maturities um, so that they have some room to grow again? Um, but I think so. The two things: one, solvency versus liquidity, and secondly, the attitude of the incoming government being very different, which is ironic in a way because it's in many ways the same cast of characters, and that's actually part of the opportunity because it's the reaction to that that's created the sell-off. And I think we should mention for viewers and listeners that we're having this conversation mid-October. Oh, gosh, And the election yes. is in October 27th. Right, so. so all the stuff I'm saying might sound really stupid. <laughs> <laughs> but just so that the, so listeners know that the uh, results will be known by then. Yeah, I think I, I'll say that um, I'll predict Alberto Fernandez wins on the presidential side, and my sense is there'll be close to a 25% gap. It was, set, it was close to 18 in the Paso, but I think actually now, so I'll put, put myself out there to be proved wrong. Okay, excellent. We'll, we'll hold you to that. So we're going to zoom out a little bit now and talk a bit about the impact of falling or negative yields on emerging market debt. Yeah. I mean, it's ironic because some countries that have you know, been um, deemed to be emerging markets like Greece, I think, have are actually gotten into the point where they have negative yields. So, you know, there's certainly a possibility. Um, it, it provides a kind of a weird distortion. Um, it certainly makes, in theory, it should make any high-yielding instrument look quite attractive. So if there's stability, there's going to be that huge gravitational pull. Um, but at the same time, it's, it seems to be emblematic of all these other kind of distortions, the trade issues, flight to quality, that puts, you know, it's, it's almost bifurcated you know, the, the investment world, the high yielding things which, you know, are caught in trouble. And then this, you know, great, you know, this great 
gravitational well of, of, of low, low you know, negative yields. Um, so it's, it's, it's certainly a mixed blessing. People are chase yield, but it, it creates a sense of distortion as well. Okay. So you've had a long career in, in emerging market debt, and how has the nature of investing in sovereign defaults changed over the course of your career? Um, I think there's, in general, some, you know, it's probably a bit uh, greater sophistication. I mean, people, you know, what, what I've, the re remarkable thing for what I've seen is that you just don't get the kind of, you know, the, doesn't, you don't get the same kind of correlation. It used to be one big country blow up and everything would sell off. And you don't get, people seem to be able to distinguish between Argentina, Brazil, Venezuela, Mexico. I mean, they, they do a bit more homework. Um, but it is this interesting thing. You know, you get the sort of the turnover and as the experienced hands retire, you get younger people coming in and make some of the same mistakes. Um, but it's just, you know, it's a more sophisticated audience. It's a deeper market. There's been a lot greater issuance. Um, and, you know, I'm biggest thing, you know, just the sort of instant communication. You know, there is the news cycle is immediate. So it used to be when I got in, you know, something would happen in the Philippines and we'd get telexes, you know, to communicate with the, the central bank or I'd get on the phone, but it wasn't that instantaneous feedback. So emerging markets isn't for everyone. So what are the factors that are different about investing in emerging markets that investors should be aware of? It, a lot of the analysis is political. Um, you know, it, it's, you're not working, you know, it's not quite as the, the traditional tools of investing in fixed income, even U.S. high yield, don't apply as much in emerging markets. Much, you know, you're going to have investing trends that are going to be dictated by election results, obviously. Um, in stressed or distressed situation, there is no sort of formal bankruptcy process. So it's ad hoc. Um, it, you know, it, and it's also a, it's a very different circle of investors. So it's, you know, you do find people who can cross over and do quite well. And people caught the bounce trades in Argentina and Greece without being, you know, hands-on about it. But it, it, it's the traditional analysis you do either on a spreadsheet uh, or in terms of a bankruptcy process don't quite apply on emerging markets. I guess the question everyone wants to know is what's your top pick for an emerging market investment, I guess, over the long term? Oh, I think Venezuela is the biggest recovery story out there. Uh, but people are, you know, U.S. investors are barred currently from investing. I just, the, the, the you know, a properly functioning economy in Venezuela and, you know, this, they had that economy within the last decade. You know, the, the outstanding debt that they have is, you know, a third of this, that, the size of that economy. I mean, I think... It was 2010 that it was you know close to 160 billion dollars, 60 billion dollars of indebtedness, including PDVSA. So you know, with a properly functioning economy, I think you know the country can do quite well. There'll be tremendous opportunities there. And we'll close, I guess, on the full circle where we started. You have done a lot of travel. Um, what is your favorite destination, and is there any place that you wouldn't go? Uh, I I just like I mean every place is interesting. You know, it's wherever, you know, I had a fascinating time when I went to Iran in 2015. I mean, the history there is phenomenal. Uh, I get a kick out of going to a place like Dubai that's sort of new. Um, 
you know, anywhere in Latin America is interesting. So probably, you know, I don't think there's any place I've been that I don't like because there's always something kind of interesting. I, I think in terms of risk, I, you know, I'd probably stay away from Tehran today. Uh, I'd probably stay away from, you know, North Korea. But in general, if somebody opens the door and I feel that, you know, I'm going to learn, I'll go. I, I don't have any least favorite places. Okay. It's a great note I wish to end. Hans, thank you so much for joining thank you. us. If you enjoyed today's episode, please consider rating and reviewing us on iTunes or wherever you're listening. We'd love to hear your thoughts and it helps others find the show. Also, a quick reminder, this podcast isn't intended to provide expert advice on the topics we covered. If you need tax, accounting or legal advice, please consult a professional. I'm Lauren Foster. Thanks so much for listening.